Well, this year's story is called Second Chance Christmas. This really is a Christmas story, believe me, but to appreciate what a miracle it was that everything turned out as it did, we need to start at the beginning. In the week before Christmas, Edward P. Sloan went to two funerals and a birthday party. It was the funerals that got the attention of this tight-fisted, covetous old man, and it was the birthday party and what happened after that changed his life. The funerals couldn't have been more different. The first one was for Jacob Moore, Ed's longtime business partner. They met in their early 20s when both were chasing their first million. Eventually, they entered into a partnership that made both men spectacularly wealthy. They shared little in common except a passion for making money, but it was enough to hold them together for decades. A competitor once said of Ed, he's a lot smarter than people give him credit for and even meaner than they say he is. Ed entered into the smaller of the two chapels in the funeral home. A nearly empty parking lot let him know that few had even bothered to show up. The funeral director, in a standard-issue navy blue suit, white shirt, and red tie, handed him the program. About 20 people were scattered throughout the chapel. A walnut casket with gold hardware stood conspicuously at the front of the room. A few looked up when Ed entered, and those he knew nodded greetings. He found a seat halfway up the aisle and sat down. A minister welcomed everyone, and it was soon evident that this poor soul had never met Jacob. But he was a professional and said all the right things, all the things one should say at such an occasion, doing his best to praise Jacob without telling any outright fibs. And to Ed's relief, he was short and to the point. The service was over in 20 minutes. He then invited guests to a reception in an adjacent room, a dozen or so filed in where a buffet table held chicken salad on croissants, small bags of potato chips, and chocolate-frosted brownies. The group sorted themselves out at two tables, one made up of former business associates and the other family. The minister said a short prayer and encouraged them to share stories about Jacob as a way of honoring his memory. But his suggestion fell flat because, frankly, there wasn't much to say. One retired banker Jacob had worked with said, some people never change, jerks when they're young, jerks when they're old, and everyone awkwardly laughed. After what Ed hoped was a suitable amount of time, he got up, said his goodbyes, and left. As he climbed behind the wheel of his black S-class Mercedes, a sense of sadness gripped him while he drove the half hour to his lakeside estate. Within minutes of arriving home, he was in his home office, grateful for the distraction of a few business issues that had surfaced in the three hours since he'd left home. Not quite 24 hours later, he guided his car down a narrow street. The small parking lot at St. Luke's AME Church was full, so he found a place on a street a block and a half away. He tried to slip in the, bank of the, nearly full, the back of the nearly full sanctuary, but an usher approached him and told him that the family had requested that he sit with them. It felt awkward, but he followed the man to a seat in the second row. Several of Bee's children greeted him, and her husband, Carl, thanked him for coming. Bee Collins had started as a receptionist at Green River Industries and quickly made herself useful. After three successive personnel assistants quit on him, he asked her to take the job temporarily. Twenty-nine years later, she was still there. Efficient, reliable, and discreet, she endured his tantrums 
even though he never apologized. Then one day she announced she'd be retiring when she turned 65. He didn't believe her, but the day after her birthday, she handed him a memo with the status of the project she'd been working on, along with a binder with complete instructions on how the job should be done. Then she cleaned out her desk and at 5.30 p.m. walked out the door and Ed stood there dumbfounded. The minister, resplendent in a black robe and a white stole, ascended to the pulpit. We have come today not to mourn a death, but to celebrate a life, he said to a few scattered amens. This is not a day to weep. Oh no, we must not be sad. Today, Sister B has crossed the River Jordan into the promised land, a place where the Lord God Almighty has wiped away every tear, and there is no death or sorrow or crying or pain. For he, the minister said, his voice rising, has made all things new. Amens reverberated throughout the sanctuary, and it was clear he was just getting going. Sister B was a woman filled with the Holy Ghost, and now she's in the presence of her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, knowing that Christmas was on everyone's mind, he said, and where she is today, there is no silent night, for the angels in that celestial choir are singing, glory, glory, hallelujah. And when he finished, the choir began to sing, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king, hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. No more crying there. We're going to see the king. At the minister's invitation, several came to share stories. Stories about Bee's kindness and generosity. Times she showed up with a meal for a new mom, a check for a light bill, or the offer to take an extra child or two for a few days or even weeks when a family got into a jam. They told how she sat and listened and then gave just the right advice. Ed was floored. Floored that he had spent so much time with someone he now knew he barely knew. And yet, he remembered all the kindnesses she'd done for him, the things that she had done that he'd never thanked her for. And yet, she always did what she did, willingly, graciously, and with kindness. The choir then sang Amazing Grace. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail, and mortal life shall cease... I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. And then, shifting gears, they launched into some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. I'll fly away, O oh glory, I'll fly away. In the morning when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. After the minister pronounced the benediction, the entire congregation, as one, relocated to the church basement. And it wasn't chicken salad on croissants for this crowd. There was fried chicken and ribs with mashed potatoes and gravy and macaroni and cheese. There were greens and okra and black-eyed peas and cornbread with peach cobbler for dessert. Ed sat with the family. They insisted. He was at a table with two of B's sons. One, he learned, was an attorney with a local firm and the other a manager with a telecommunications company. How was it, he thought, that he didn't know any of this? Walking back to his car, he was again nearly overcome by emotion. But this time, the feelings were more complicated. A mixture of regret and remorse mingled with a sudden desire to make amends. But how exactly does one fix more than 40 years of thoughtlessness? Somewhere in his frontal lobe, 
He knew he just experienced something wonderful. But just as quickly, he tried to shut out the thoughts as he walked the last 30 yards to his car. When he opened the door, he grabbed his phone and saw a voicemail from his son, Ford. Ed had been a largely absent father, and he had divorced Ford's mother during the boy's fourth year of medical school. That was the same year that his first grandchild was born, a girl named Sarah. Because Ford was so upset, Ed would not see her for more than five years. She was 21 now, and from what he remembered, probably a senior in college. The message on the phone was an invitation to attend a birthday party for his youngest grandson, Tyler. Ten years younger than 19-year-old Brandon, Tyler was turning nine on Christmas Eve day and had specifically asked if Grandpa Ed could come. In the message, Ford explained that the birthday party started at one, then they planned to have dinner and attend a candlelight Christmas Eve service at their church, and his tone of voice suggested he didn't expect his dad to make more than a token appearance. When Ed finished listening, he thought of Bee's family just a block and a half away, her husband, their five children and spouses, and more than a dozen grandchildren. And in that moment, he made a snap and momentous decision. He hit the call button. Ford answered on the second ring. Did you get my message? Yes, and I'll come. To the party, Ford asked, just to clarify. No, to the whole thing. You mean the party, dinner, and church? Yes, Ed said. Okay, his son said, a bit shocked. Well, then I guess we'll see you at one. And they hung up. Ed almost immediately began to have doubts, but the lingering memory of what he had experienced the day before created a longing that he'd never felt before. A day later, he made another call to his son about what to buy Tyler for his birthday. An iPad, he asked. No, he already has one. What about a flat screen TV for his bedroom? You're kidding, aren't you? Then they settled on a kid-friendly drone, even though Ford knew that his wife, Rebecca, might not approve. Ed was shocked that he could get one for $100. So he threw in a Lego Star Wars Episode Eight Heavy Assault Walker building kit for another $175. The night before the party, he had trouble falling asleep. It made him wonder if somehow in his old age he was getting soft. He arrived when preparations for the party were not quite complete. When Tyler's friends arrived, he opened his presents and half were Legos, but Ed was relieved that no one else had given him a Star Wars Episode Eight Heavy Assault Walker. And Ford was right. Rebecca wasn't happy about the drone. Then the boys ate zucchini brownies, gluten-free chocolate chip cookies, and apple slices. Actually, no one ate the apple slices, and the brownies tasted awful, and Ed wondered why Tyler's mother even bothered. What happened to good old birthday cake and ice cream? Tyler, it turned out, was a fairly typical nine-year-old boy. His enthusiasm exceeded his judgment, and he said pretty much what was on his mind. There wasn't much in the way of edit. The next couple of hours went fast. Ed couldn't help but wonder how it was that his son was so normal. He'd been married to the same woman for 35 years. His children were reasonably behaved, and what he could tell seemed untouched by the maladies that many of his peers talked about with their offspring. Here was a house full of well-adjusted human beings. He realized, no thanks to him. At five, parents arrived to pick up their boys, and as soon as they were all gone, Rebecca rushed Tyler upstairs to get him changed into nicer clothes for the evening. 
After dinner, Ed offered to drive, so the entire crew piled into the leather-lined Mercedes as he drove the 10 minutes to church. Other than funerals and an occasional wedding, Ed hadn't been to church for years. He walked in with Tyler, who seemed to know quite a few people, and it suddenly dawned on Ed that the family must attend there regularly, not just on Christmas and Easter. The church was brightly lit, with garland and candles everywhere. The room was nearly full, so they split into two groups with Ed, Tyler, and Ford on one row and Rebecca, Sarah, and Brandon on another. The choir began with, Oh, come all ye faithful, inviting the congregation to stand and sing with them during the second verse. Then they sang, Hark the herald angels sing, and what child is this? And then when everyone had been seated, the minister arose, took his Bible, and read the Christmas story while a cast of grade schoolers acted it out in a series of tableaus. And it came to pass, he read, that in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of the entire Roman world. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and who was great with child. And so it came that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Then he read about the shepherds, the bright lights, and the angel choir that sang glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward all. When the cast of characters shuffled off the stage, the pastor began, imagine if you will, the reaction of the shepherds. When the angels appeared, they were scared to death. So to calm their fears, the angels said, fear not. And so in the middle of an extraordinary night, or an ordinary night, an extraordinary God broke into their ordinary lives. And he paused and said, is that not the way it is with us? Does not Jesus at times break into our lives just when we least expect it? That, he said, is what the birth of Jesus is all about, about God coming down to meet us, not on high holy days, but on ordinary days, in ordinary places, and sometimes, but only sometimes, in extraordinary ways. And when that happens, he says to us what he said to the shepherds, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And then he paused and said, the good news is that God meets us in our pain and loneliness. He meets us in our frustrations and disappointments. He meets us on Mondays and Tuesdays as well as on Sundays. And he offers to be a part of every day of our lives as ordinary as they might be. Then he said, I don't know what you were expecting when you came here today, But just maybe, God is breaking into your life in an unexpected way. It may or may not be miraculous, but perhaps you have a sense that there's more to life than what you can see or hear or feel. It's not often an angel choir fills the sky with a music and light show. In fact, most of the time, the way God breaks in is more ordinary. But in whatever way he does, don't push him aside. Then he said, Do you know that at the end of this story, it says that Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart? Perhaps we can follow Mary's example and take time to ponder these things in our hearts. So whatever you do, do not let this moment slip away.
Then everyone joined in singing, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Tyler stayed awake for most of the service, but toward the end he leaned over against his grandfather and fell asleep. At first it felt awkward, but Ed lifted his arm and put it around the boy and let him nuzzle in. His son Ford's jaw just about hit the floor. On the way home, Rebecca asked Ed if he wanted to join them for Christmas. He was about to give an an excuse when he blurted out a yes. He arrived as instructed at 10 o'clock the next morning and was nearly decapitated when Tyler's new drone buzzed by at neck level. (laughs) The family gifts had been opened, so Tyler showed his grandfather all his loot. They had quite a spread on the table. There was an egg bake and bacon and coffee cake and fruit and various beverages. The conversation flowed, and even Ed found himself drawn in. Chit-chat had never been his thing, but he soon discovered it went a lot better if you just asked a few questions. After everyone had eaten and the dishes had been put away, Brandon asked Tyler in a voice that everyone could hear, Is it time? To which Tyler replied, It's time! And they made their way into the family room. Tyler then explained to his grandfather that every Christmas they had to watch the movie Elf. And when Ed looked puzzled, Tyler said, what do you mean? You've never seen Elf? Where have you been all these years? And everyone laughed. Ed then learned that in this family, watching this zany movie that he'd somehow missed in the theaters was quite an experience. All three children had committed whole sections of dialogue to memory. So when Buddy the Elf said, we elves try to stick to the four main food groups, all three immediately joined Buddy saying, candy, candy canes, candy corn, and syrup. And when Buddy answered the phone in his biological father's office, all three burst out, Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? And when Buddy asked an angry raccoon, does somebody need a hug? All three ran off to find someone in the room to hug. In the end, Ed wondered how something so inane could also be so funny. By the end of the afternoon, Ed had invited Tyler over to his estate for a play date, although he had no idea what he'd do with a nine-year-old boy for an entire afternoon. But at the same time, the rest of the family seemed to have no idea what to do with Ed. After the movie ended, Ed asked Brandon what he was studying in college. Economics, he answered. Really? said Ed. What do you want to do with that? Probably business, maybe finance. Shocked that he didn't know any of this, Ed said, we should talk. I I could probably find something for you to do this summer. And then Brandon told his grandfather that he didn't want things handed to him And Ed almost blurted out, I'd never do that, when he caught himself. Still, he told Brandon, why don't you come by the office before you head back to school? And the two talk dates. What do you think happened to him? Rebecca asked Ford when they were alone in the kitchen. You almost would think that Mr. Grinch met Cindy Lou. They both laughed, but it did seem like Ed's heart was starting to resemble a normal human heart. The next week, Ed and Ford met for lunch. Dad, Ford said, this may sound rude, but what's going on? Frankly, you've never liked Christmas, and suddenly you're Clark Griswold. Ed looked puzzled when he mentioned Clark Griswold, and Ed, or Ford just let it go. It would take too long to explain. Ed finally said, well, you see, Ford, I had quite a week, and I decided that I needed to make some changes, but I'm not quite sure where to start. Then Ed told his son about the two funerals, and with tears in his eyes, 
He has tears. Think of that. He told him that Christmas Eve and Christmas Day had been the two best days he could remember in a very long time. I left Jacob's funeral with a sense that everything the two of us had ever done together hadn't amounted to anything worthwhile. And then just 24 hours later, I'm listening to people praise someone I took for granted. Life is way too short to waste accumulating more stuff. I might not have much time left, but with the time I've got, I need to do something useful. My life so far has been a series of missed opportunities. That's great, Ford said, still skeptical. But you really ought to put some thought into this. Oh, I have, his dad said, but I'm going to need your help. You're a really good man, Ford, a lot better man than I'll ever be. You are kind, forgiving, charitable, and thoroughly decent. And I need to make amends for some of the things I've done and others I've failed to do. So in the time I have left, I want to be a different man. I just trust that I'm not past hope. Ed said he'd started to make a list of the people he needed to do things for. There was B's family, her husband, their children, and grandchildren. There was a younger brother, an old college friend, a housekeeper, his accountant, and a neighbor he'd once been close to. He said he also knew that he needed to do something good with all the money he'd earned. Other than make himself comfortable, all he'd ever done is pile it up in bank accounts. It was time, he said, to start giving it away. Listen, Dad, Ford said, I hope you don't take this wrong because I think everything you've said so far is great. All of us should do these things no matter how much we have. But I hope you don't think you're going to be able to make up for everything, all these things up, for all your regrets in just a few weeks. Yes, Christmas is a time to think about generosity, but the reason for that is God's generosity with us. Dad, the message of Christmas is that God has given us his one and only son who came to give us life no matter what we've done. So I do hope you do good, all that good that's in your heart, but I also hope that the gift you found this Christmas is the gift of God's love for you, no matter what's happened in the past. The two men looked at each other across the table, and in that moment, Ed realized that his son was right. God's grace had come to him that Christmas. But still, he wanted to get busy. It's the only thing he knew how to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus this Christmas season. We thank you that uh, because of his gift, we are inspired to be generous. But may we do that generosity not out of duty, but out of gratitude for your son, the one who came, who lived, who died on the cross, that we might have a relationship with you. Father, we thank you for this Christmas season for the opportunity to be with family and friends, to enjoy good times. But may we never forget that Jesus is indeed the reason for this season. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.